That is good. I am very glad to be here this morning. Um, this is a message that I've been wanting to do for some time, and, and, uh, and it's a couple of things that I've noted in, in studying uh, the life of a, of a gentleman that we're going to be looking at today, and, and some things I noticed in there that I think are instructive for us, uh, things that we could probably learn from, and as we learn from these things and lean into these things, we'll find that actually our Christian walks will be greatly impacted towards Jesus in a way that maybe we hadn't realized before. So if you got your Bibles with you, I want you to turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, obviously, but Luke chapter 2, and I'm just going to be reading verses 22 to 24. Verses 22 to 24. And uh, one of the reasons I love actually talking about some of the events surrounding Jesus' birth is that there are myths that we have that we get to deal with. I love these. Like, for example, if you can see this nativity scene up front here, you got to show up on January 5th. And we're going to, I'm just going to drop a bomb on this thing and, and show you something that maybe you hadn't seen before. Uh, that I hope that you're going to be excited about is some truth directly out of God's Word that shows us some stuff that were taking place that dispels some of our assumptions and some of the myths surrounding even just the manger scene. Uh, but today we're going to be talking about a guy by the name of Simeon and a woman by the name of Anna. And so if you have your Bibles again, Luke chapter 2, verse 22 to 24. Uh, and if you don't know where the Gospel of Luke is, don't want you to feel bad about that. In the beginning of your Bible, there's a table of contents. People worked really hard to put it there. Don't be ashamed to use it. Luke chapter 2, verse 22 to 24. One of the ways we like to show respect for God's word here at Pathways, we like to stand for the reading of his word. So would you please stand? Here we go. When the time came for purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph took Mary. Oh, I should tell you, that's about 30 days, the purification rites. Like, I know like, when we're talking about when Jesus is born and then when he goes to get presented at temple, you need to know that the purification rites for Mary, specifically according to Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, was about 30 days. Bet you didn't know that. That's right. Going to keep going. All right. Required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, talking about Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice in keeping what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Uh, the pair of doves or two young pigeons is actually for those people who are poor. The, the offering was supposed to actually be a ram or a goat, something along those lines. But if you were of a lower income family, you were able to do pigeons or doves. Pretty cool information that tells us something, especially as we start talking about the gifts from the Magi that we read later in the story. I'm going to keep reading because it's just a good stuff. All right. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now let's pray. 
Lord God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for joy. I thank you that it is not an emotion, but it is a state of being that we get to press into that is not based on how we feel, but based on who you are and what you say. And so, Lord God, as we're looking into your word this morning, as we're looking into your promises, Jesus, I pray that you will help us to align our hearts with truth and that we will be able to move forward into a better relationship with you based on your truth claims in your word. In your name I pray, amen. All right, you can have a seat. I had an idea for this morning, but I'm not going to butcher you with that. Uh, the idea I had was that I was going to break out into song. Anybody here ever break out into song over anything? And what you have, you broken out? Wow, that is awesome. It's like, like, you know, one of these things that comes to mind is, is things, like questions like, have you ever had a dream where your life was like a musical? Right? And something would happen in life and either somebody beside you or you yourself would just suddenly break out in song and, and this song would have meaning and give context to whatever it is you were experiencing at the time. Anybody like that? You had a dream like that? Or maybe you just lived that way? Like some of you just break out into song, right? That's right. It's cool. It's very cool. Uh, may, what would the soundtrack of your life be like? Maybe it's like your, your first date, right? Black Eyed Peas, tonight's gonna be a good night. <laughs> You know, and then because you broke out into song, your first breakup, <laughs> you give love a bad name. <laughs> maybe one of your songs, like maybe for your driver's license, and we'll have fun, fun, fun till daddy takes the T-bird away. <laughs> or maybe, in my case, one day at my daughter's wedding, I can sing, you know, uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman's I Danced with Cinderella. Talking about his daughter. Beautiful song, makes you tear up. Don't, don't listen. All right. Or maybe in my case, for example, when I think about death, I think about my own death, I'm thinking like, going on up to the spirit in the sky. <laughs> None of you? Yeah, some of you? All right. There are times in life where there just seems like music just makes the most sense to capture what it is that we're experiencing in that moment, Right? Well, some of you may remember the part of the Christmas story that talks about a man by the name of Simeon and a woman by the name of Anna. Now, I want to focus most of my attention on Simeon because here's the dude that just broke out into song. I mean, he encountered Jesus, the guy just busted out a tomb. <laughs> Simeon uh, of the New Testament, there's two Simeons that are quite prominent in the Scriptures that you learn about. Uh, this one is the Simeon of the New Testament. The other one was a, was a son of Jacob. Simeon in the New Testament, this guy was his residence of, of Jerusalem. He was what was known as a prophet, and so he had certain responsibilities at temple. And he was known for being righteous and devout, as you read in Luke chapter 2, verse 25. It says he was righteous and he was devout, and that means a lot. When the Scripture sets a person aside and said this person was righteous and devout, what they meant was that this was a person that sought after the heart of God. And that all that they did, they wanted to be representative of that heart. This was a good man. This was a man who loved the Lord. And he lived during the time, of course, when Jesus was born. And what you need to understand is that for generations, Israelites had hoped for the Messiah to come. And that this Messiah was going to free them from the oppression that they were experiencing under Rome in a similar way that that Moses freed them from the oppression that they experienced 
from Egypt. And we read about that in, in the Exodus, right? Where you're talking about Exodus chapter 3 to 14. There's this beautiful, wonderful, epic story. So great a story that they made movies out of it. Right? My first time I ever came across the Ten Commandments, for example, was in a movie called The Ten Commandments. Turns out the majority of the movie wasn't about the Ten Commandments. It was about Israel being freed from slavery in Egypt. And Charlton Heston did a pretty good job playing Moses. <laughs> it was such a great story of people being freed from oppressors by a great man. And Israel was now, having had experienced that in their history, they were looking forward to the coming of God's Messiah, God's anointed one, to raise them from the freedom, to freedom from oppression in Rome, or from Rome. And so like the rest of the nation of Israel, Simeon was waiting for what they called the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel is the idea that the Messiah was going to come and bring comfort and hope and prosperity and growth to Israel. But he was unique, Simeon. And the reason he was unique is because we're told in the story that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now that's a huge statement. And the reason that's a huge statement is because the Holy Spirit hadn't yet come to dwell in the hearts of people yet. That didn't happen until after Jesus died and was raised again. And so for this statement to be made that the Holy Spirit was upon him really, really gave us an understanding, a better understanding of what it meant for him to be righteous and devout. That his waking moments were so focused on honoring the Lord and his ability to be able to do so was based upon the fact that the Holy Spirit was upon him. The fact that the Holy Spirit was on him enabled Simeon to have confidence that he would see the Messiah during his lifetime. It was actually revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Can you imagine that? I don't even know what it looked like. All we know is that he was told this and he had confidence in it. I have no idea what means of communication they used, but what I do know is that he was absolutely confident that he was not going to die before the God's Messiah would come. Have you ever had that kind of confidence in something? There was a promise that he was given from the Lord, and that promise sustained him. It sustained him. It sustained him through doubt. It sustained him through chaos that was going on in the world around him. He knew that he would not see death before the Lord's Messiah would come. And he leaned into that promise. And then we read that he finally encounters Jesus. Verse 27. Listen to this. I love this. It starts, I believe, with an act of submission to the Holy Spirit. It says here, moved by the Spirit. I just want to park there for a second. Moved by the Spirit, it says in verse 27, that the Holy Spirit led him, and not only did it lead him, it prompted him to make direction somewhere, and he followed. Do you hear that? He initially was told, you're not going to see death before you see the Lord's Messiah come. And then the Holy Spirit moved him, moved by the Holy Spirit. He went to the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, 
to do for him what the custom of the law required. Listen, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Now, I just want, how many of you have ever had like a fairly young child that you're, you know, that you were responsible for, right? Like you're the parents. And somebody came along and just kind of takes them and starts singing. That ever happened to any of you? I mean, I know of you, some of you, you think your kids are so awesome when they're first born that everybody should just grab them and break out in song because who wouldn't? They're amazing. <laughs> right? Think about this. I mean, they had no anticipation of what was going to take place. We read this story as if it doesn't have life in it, but trust me, it has life in it. If you brought your kids to church on a Sunday morning, let's say, to have your child dedication, maybe they were 12 months old, let's just say they were a year old, you know, up to a year old. How many of you would freak out if someone just grabbed your kid and started singing? I'm not getting much of a response from you. You'd freak out. Why? Because it's not normal. People don't do that. So he grabs a child in his arms, and he prays God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory of your people, Israel. Simeon's words revealed that salvation and truth would be available for the entire world, not just for Israel. Through Jesus, that was the mechanism that salvation was going to come. Through Jesus, and that he would bring glory to Israel, Mary and Joseph marveled at Simeon's words in verse 33. It actually says, the child's father and mother marveled at what was being said about him. If it were me, I'd be like, you have no idea the mess he just made in that diaper. You've got to remember that Jesus was an infant, and to Mary and Joseph, they had the same kind of responsibilities and frustrations and issues with their child. Jesus, like the song that says, you know, away in a manger, right? No crying he made? Right. You ever find a newborn that doesn't cry? As a matter of fact, let me in, let you in on a little something. In the ancient world or any world, really, uh, in order to make sure that the lungs were clear, the pathways were clear, they would spank the child to make sure it would cry. Jesus cried. He was a baby. He would cry when he was hungry. He would cry when he was wet. He, he would cry. we got to get rid of this mythology that's in there that takes away the humanity of Jesus. He was every bit human and every bit God at the same time. And so when they hear these words from Simeon. They marvel at them. They're in awe. It's a big deal. He continued, though. Simeon's words continued in verse 34. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child, listen to this, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul. True. 
These words disclose that Jesus would reveal truth and that he'd be accepted as the consolation of Israel by some, but not by all. Not by all. Simeon's words also reveal that there would be opposition to Jesus in the future and that Jesus' sufferings would cause personal pain to Mary. You see, Mary was there for all of it. We read in the story that Mary was there when her son was hanging on a cross. Her son and her Lord, her son and her Savior, her son and her God. These words were unbelievable for Mary and Joseph. But back to Simeon. Simeon's experience with this. He was sustained by the promise of God saying that you're not going to die before you see the coming of the Messiah. And then when that promise got fulfilled, you know what he did? He worshiped and he proclaimed. He worshiped and he testified. Those were the results of what happened. Activated joy produces fruit. And that fruit is worship and testify. The fulfilled promises of God produce activated joy. Now, we can have joy through all things in life, regardless of whatever it is that we're experiencing, but this notion of activated joy is when we see the fulfilled promises of God that cause us to move. So, the reason I call it activated joy is because the only thing that actually distinguishes it from regular joy is that we have this compulsion to move. Simeon grabbed the child and sang. And I guarantee you, he did not do that with every kid. And so, promise fulfilled. We move into action when we experience the joy that comes from God's fulfilled promises. That's what happens. That's Christmas joy. When we look at God's promises, we are sustained. He says that He will never leave you or forsake you. And so if you're in a place where you're in doubt with your Lord, if you're in doubt with whether or not God can handle whatever it is you're throwing His way, just know that He will never leave you or forsake you. That there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Nothing. And he continues on, Paul continues on in Romans 8 to talk about a wide variety of different things that people think might separate them from the love of God. And he says, no, none of that separates you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And when it comes to sin in our life, the things in our life that miss the mark of what God would have for us, we read in the Scriptures, as far as the east is from the west, so it is that God separates our sin from us. Guys, those are promises. And those are promises we can hang on to. And they sustain us through difficulty, don't they? They sustain us through difficulty. When we experience God's promises fulfilled, we're activated towards speaking about His goodness. In other words, we can read about it in the Scripture, but when you come to a saving knowledge in Jesus Christ, you need to know that the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, is a promise fulfilled. That's what happens there. When you accept Jesus, there's a promise fulfilled. You are loved with an everlasting, immovable love. Nothing can shake God's love for you. Nothing. That's pretty awesome. 
And when we experience that, when we internalize that, we are activated towards speaking about his goodness. Luke chapter 2, verse 28. Simeon encounters Jesus and began to worship the Lord. In verses 34 to 35, he testifies about Jesus to Joseph and Mary regarding Jesus. And then a little bit later on, we read about this woman by the name of Anna. What a great lady. She's known as a prophetess. And so she's at the temple on a regular basis. And what we find when we read about Anna, it actually says this. Coming up to them at that very moment... Talking about Anna. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. I'll read you a little bit more about Anna. There was a, also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Penuel, from the tribe of Asher. She was very old. I'm not sure why that mattered in the story necessarily, other than she was waiting a long time for Christ's It says she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple. Now, understand that. She left the temple. She didn't sleep there. But the temple was so central to her life that she was there every single day. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, praying and fasting And coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to redemption of Jerusalem. Question for you. If you're in Jerusalem, how many residents of Jerusalem do you think are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem? Do you think it's 25% of the population? Do you think it's 50% of the population? Or do you think it's actually more likely because they're living under Roman rule that it's 100% of the population that were waiting for the redemption of Israel? And here's a lady who couldn't stop talking about the redemption of Israel through this child. It says... She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. All. And so what we find as we read in this story specifically is that activated joy causes us to worship and to testify. Simeon worshipped. He proclaimed who God was and His goodness. Anna, it says, thanked God and then spoke about the child. Simeon worshipped God and then testified about the child to his parents. The result of activated joy is that it causes us to worship and to testify. That's what joy does. It is not an emotion. It is so much better than that. So much better. As a matter of fact, in the beginning of the message, I didn't read this to you. But I'd say it this way. Joy is not an emotion that slips away. Joy is knowing the reality of God's goodness in our lives, and it produces spiritual fruit. You catch that? That's what joy is. Joy is knowing the goodness of God in our lives. Question for you. Is, and I expect an answer, is God good? How often is God good? Right. All the time. And if God is good all the time, then our joy rests in the reality of His goodness 
in our lives. And we are sustained by the promises that we get from Him. And then when we actually experience those promises, it is to motivate us, it activates us towards worship and testimony. Worship and testimony. Every time. When you have a real, authentic experience with Jesus, we are compelled to worship and to tell people about Him. We can't help it. The woman at the well, do you remember her story? Jesus encounters this woman at the well. He tells her, she's in her own words, she runs into the community and she says, come and listen to the man who told me everything I ever did wrong. And they're like, no, I'm good. (laughs) I don't need to hear about everything I always did wrong. She, She actually was so compelled by encountering Jesus that she ran to all of the people in the community that she lived in to tell them about him, to come see him. This is the result of encountering Jesus. Simeon was waiting for the Messiah. So so here's the question. How do we look for God's promises and respond to them? So how did Simeon do it? Well, Simeon was waiting for the Messiah. The, The waiting for the Messiah is such a big deal. He was so looking forward to the coming of Messiah. And so in our context, then the equivalent would be, are we waiting for the return? Are we looking forward to the return in the way that Israel was looking forward to the Messiah? It says that he believed in the promise of God and looked for the promise to be fulfilled as a priority in his life. Is Jesus' return a priority in our lives? Is it? I think it should be. He was earnest for the freedom of God's people. Here's what that means. It actually meant that his desire was also for the effect of the promise. It's not just the promise itself, but what the promise would do. And so in the coming of the Messiah, it meant that Israel will be free, that the redemption would come to the world. He was earnestly desiring that. Do we earnestly desire the results of the promises of God? And and lastly, for Simeon specifically, he was led by the Holy Spirit. Guys, I can't stress this enough. We are so good at making our own plans. We are so good at jarting down our notes and our lists of the things that we believe we need to be walking into, and then we say, God, bless my list. Right? Instead of letting God make the list. We are so good at relying heavily on ourselves rather than on Him. Simeon submitted to the Holy Spirit in his life. Have you ever been felt like you were prompted to do something? Maybe you woke up in the middle of the night and you just had somebody's mind on your somebody's name in your mind. Or maybe you saw somebody and you just felt like you were supposed to go walk over and talk to them. Or maybe you were supposed to message somebody, or maybe you were supposed to do something. And you did it. Do you remember how that felt? Do you remember how fulfilling that was? Now, inversely, do you remember when you didn't do it? And how you look back on that moment with some measure of regret saying, I wish I would have done that. I should have done it. 
We need to follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Somebody's name comes to your mind, you pray for them because they need you to pray for them right then and there. And then you contact them. If you're supposed to go walk over and talk to somebody, you go and you walk over and you talk to somebody. Why? Because you might be the only encouraging word they're going to receive that day. You have no idea what impact your presence will have in their life. Allow the Holy Spirit to move you and be submitted to the Holy Spirit in your life. When we talk about Anna, Anna was focused on worship. She was focused on prayer. She was focused on fasting in response to the promise of God. You see, she believed that Messiah was going to come. She didn't know when Messiah was going to come, but in her belief of the promise of God and her desire to honor the Lord, she worshiped, prayed, and fasted. God was her priority. When we turn our gaze to God and we keep it there, we're actually able to identify the fulfilled promises in our lives. As you want to experience the love of God, Look at him. Seek his face. Have conversations with him. Tell him a joke. I mean, he knows the punchline. But have an authentic relationship with him. Seek his face. He won't turn his face from you. He won't turn his face from you. But when we turn our gaze to God and we keep it there, we will be able to identify his fulfilled promises in our lives. It is honestly when we, and when we have our gaze on God, we cannot help but recognize that we are loved. When we turn our gaze away from God, that's when we doubt whether or not we're loved. When we turn our gaze towards God, we recognize that we are a forgiven people. We are redeemed. We are forgiven. We are raised up into something different. We are adopted by the almighty creator of all things. When we turn our gaze from him, we doubt So turn your gaze towards him, like Anna did, like Simeon did, and you will be able to identify his fulfilled promises. So here's what I want you to do for this week. It's going to be really simple, okay? It's all about where our gaze goes. This week, I want us to focus on the promise of God in Matthew 28, verse 20. That's all I want us to do. I want you to focus on this promise. And if you can focus your life on this promise, I promise you, that you will experience God in a fresh way. Matthew 28, 20. He's talking to the disciples. This is the Great Commission, but one of the fantastic things that I find in the Great Commission is this encouraging word from Jesus. He says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, to the, even to the end of the age you are never alone. He is with you always to the very end of the age. Gaze at Him. Internalize that promise. And I promise you, you will see a more fulfilled Christian walk. If we do not trust in the promises of God, our joy will not be complete. But if we do press into the promises and we recognize the truth of the promises, then like Simeon and Anna, we can experience the joy that causes us to worship and to testify about Jesus. So this season, what song will your heart want to burst out and sing? What song?
Will you sing of the fulfilled promise of the newborn king as you look forward to the promise of the return of the king? Yes, I did a Lord of the Rings reference. Are we ready for the return of the king? You have to understand the language of Scripture is not get ready, it's be ready. You catch that? It's not get ready, it's be ready. And if you look all across Christianity, here's what we know, that those who accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, as personal Lord and Savior, we receive His sacrifice on our behalf, we will be in heaven together. And you know what's going to be the big surprise? You're going to see Mennonites with Episcopalians. You're going to see, like, we're going to have Pentecostals. We're going to have Dutch Reform. We're going to have all kinds of people that we get to be in heaven together because we're centralized on the gospel, and we're going to realize how much else we got wrong. Are you ready for the return of the king? You know what it means to be ready? Accept his gospel and live in obedience to him. That's what it means. That's what it means. Accept his gospel and live in obedience. That's what it is. He says it in Matthew 28, 20. Teach these new things, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Does Jesus want obedience? Absolutely. He wants obedience. They first receive the gospel and then they're taught to obey. And he is with us to the very end of the age. Jesus has never broken a promise. Not from eternity, not on earth. He has never broken a promise. Lean in. Gaze his way. Focus on the fact that he will not leave. We are not alone. Will you sing of the fulfilled promise of the newborn king as you look forward to the promise of the return of the king? And are you ready for the return of the king? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this morning. I do thank you so, so much that we have the benefit of being able to read about your promises in your word. And so, Jesus, I pray that you will help us to do a couple of things. This, Lord Jesus, I pray you will help us to do. That we would read in your word and seek the promises in your truth. That, Lord, the promises that confront our insecurities, the promises that confront our doubts, the promises that confront our sin. And we would lean into those and we turn our gaze towards you. Jesus, I pray that you will help us to have a desire for obedience to you. Not from the perspective of you just being this authoritarian in our lives, but from an understanding of knowing that you know what is best for our lives. Jesus, that we would be worshipers of you. And as a result of that, Lord, as a result of walking into these fulfilled promises in our lives, that we would worship you and we would tell everyone about you. Lord, that we would tell everybody who needs freedom in life about you as Anna did. But Lord, would you help us to turn our gaze towards you so that we will believe your promise that you will never leave us or forsake us, that we will believe your promise that nothing can separate us from your love. And you desire the good of those who love you. In your holy, precious, amazing, eternal name, amen.